Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Don't Give Up Skeleton. I'm your host, Jeremy Greer. This week's guest is John, a.k.a. Catatonic Nolly. Uh, he's a frequent contributor to the Kane and Rinse podcast. Uh, me and him have been friends on Twitter for quite some time. He's a huge Souls fan, and it was just an absolute blast to sit down and talk to him about all of his experiences with the Souls games. Um, this episode is a little different. We, we kind of just fell into a conversation um, and about talked for about 20 minutes without John realizing that I was recording. <laughs> so um, the first, like I said, about 15, 20 minutes, uh, I'm using the, the audio recording from Discord. And then um, after he realizes that we're actually recording a podcast, it switches over to his local recording, which is quite a bit better. So if it sounds a little rough at the beginning, that's that's on me. That is not John's fault. I just literally conned him into doing a podcast when he was not aware of it. So with that note in mind, please enjoy the episode. I'm I'm slowly over the course of the last sort of probably about the last year I've slowly caught up with um with your show and I think I'm on the one I'm going to mention it in the show actually because it's kind of pertinent but the one I listened to yesterday or one of the ones I listened to yesterday was uh it's with an Australian guy called Robin it's yeah. fairly recent mm-hmm. I think you probably recorded it like maybe Christmas time just after Christmas that sounds about right mm-hmm I think it's like episode 108 or 110. Yeah, Robin's a good dude. So, yeah, I had fun with that guy. Sort of getting there. Yeah, that was a great show. Actually, he made a lot of he made a lot of points that are things that I completely agree with. Like we we are going to talk about, um, you know, the reason he likes the games partly because they they kind of have a lot of horror vibes in them, yeah. and I'm very much the same. I really like horror stuff, and I definitely get the same same kind of feelings of tension and dread and stuff from playing any of these Souls games that I do from playing like Resident Evil. You know, when you're like walking along in the halls in that house in the first Resident Evil and you like the dogs come through the window and you then spend the rest of the game like kind of butt cheeks clenched, expecting (laughs) that sort of thing to happen. And Souls is exactly like that. It's like every time you're near an edge, it's like I might fall off this and I get that kind of, you know, when your kind of palms feel tingly and the soles of your feet feel tingly. It's the it's that that creeping through the depths with the shield up um, at all times you know, moving the camera around a corner to see what's coming up for it. So you don't have to see it and like just slowly taking steps to get through kind of, kind of creeping feeling, which is, um, it's funny because dark souls, especially dark souls one doesn't do that to me at all anymore. Cause I'm just so used to playing it. Um, mm. but you know, a new souls game definitely has that feeling like any kind of anything that you're experiencing for the first time mm. just terrifies you. Cause you have no idea what's going to be coming or any traps yeah. or what new enemies or what new weird status effects that you've never seen before or, or something crazy. Yeah. It's kind of, it's exactly the same thing with the horror games. Like once you've played through it and you know where the jump scares are and you know that there's not going to be a jump scare, it loses the tension of like constantly being on edge, expecting it. Exactly. Yeah. You never get that first uh first time through experience over again i guess you could you could like go years down the line back to it like i'm playing um playing the remaster now and i've not played dark souls apart from a few hours like six eight months ago i've not played the first dark souls for i finished it just over five years ago and i'm playing this now thinking like is this exactly how it used to be Have they made like little <laughs> subtle changes and stuff like the dialogue i swear the um that fucking asshole guy sitting next to Firelink, who's kind of miserable. Um, I swear uh, he tells you more Chris now Fong? than he ever used to. Yeah, that's him. 
he's just like, once you've exhausted this dialogue, he's like, oh, go away. I don't want to talk anymore. And then you go back to him after you've done like a little bit more. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that Titanite demon underneath the, the staircase down there. It's like, I don't remember him giving as much detail as that previously. I definitely don't remember him saying go down like the bonfire is at the bottom of Blight Town because everybody went down. Everyone heard that and went down to Anor, uh, to New Londo instead. Exactly. Yeah. But I don't remember there being that much. And I'm, I've just gone back to the Undead Asylum now, and I've gone back to the cell to try and get the, um, the Peculiar Doll. And there's a, there's a very hard Black Knight guarding the entrance to that cell now. And, I mean, he's like, I've taken down three or four other Black Knights, and I've, I've still got, like, the Pyromancy Flame from the beginning, and I've been lobbing it at them because it does the best damage to them without getting close. And he's taking half the damage from those um, fireballs as all the other ones. And I don't remember him being there. I don't remember that being the case. It might have been, but I definitely don't remember it. It's weird what your what your brain will will do. Will mm. kind of play tricks on you a little bit because there's definitely like really small things that I look at and I'm like, is this is this the way that it always was? <laughs> was this always yeah. here? <laughs> like, did you always need to be you know human to be able to talk to this person or what have you? It was years. Um, somebody was talking about this on I think on Twitter today. Um, it was years later because when people were talking about Dom Hall, the, the little dude that sells you all the boss armor, the Asame. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, if you if you spend a lot of time with that dude, he will tell you so much information about this video game. Like if you buy um, a piece of Smo's armor from him and then talk to him, he'll kind of mm. he'll lay out the whole dragon covenant for you. He'll be like, oh, yeah, like down in Ash Lake. If you were around Blight Town, like there's a dragon covenant, and da 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 da, da. <laughs> like he'll explain so many secrets in the game just oh, from you cool. buying stuff from him, and he tells you something different every time you buy. And I like it was probably five years after me playing the game before I like I heard that, and I was like, you gotta be kidding me! I had no idea that that that, that was even possible. So. Yeah, because you kind of pigeonhole yourself. Like I don't, I know you know there's lots of lots of different builds, and people have very different approaches. But how often do you go through the game and just think, right, I. I'm going to get all the sets of armor because I want a character that can flip between, you know, being like a really high strength build and like a really high dex build. So I, I probably never bought more than exactly what I wanted for my specific purposes from him. And I did never see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, and that's another thing about going back to the remaster. Um, like, cause I, my, my first goal, my first build was like, okay, I'm going to make this very specific PVP build that I, that I love mm-hmm. and I, that I'm going to do. So as opposed to like, like I ended up killing Ornstein and Smo before I killed the Capra demon, <laughs> just because. <laughs> just because, like, I was going through and I was like, "Well, I don't need to worry about you know any of this stuff in the depths or anything like that." And then I kind of yeah. took a step back and I was like, "Oh no, wait, I need the large ember." Well, surely the master yeah. key will work. So I went back. I was like, "Nope, no, you have to have the depths key." So then I had to go back and kill the the, the Capra demon to get the key, so I could go down and get the ember. Like it's just yeah, dumb stuff like that. That, that I, I, you know, I kind of feel. I don't know if it's just my own judgment but for whatever reason dark souls one lets me do that to a degree that i don't feel like the other games mm. do um mm. like bloodborne seems very limited in a lot of ways to do kind of weird sequence breaking and and like weapon late weapon getting early kind of stuff but dark souls yeah. 2 dark souls 3 also i don't know if it's just because i don't enjoy those games as much as i do dark souls 1 but it feels like i'm more limited over there for some reason i kind of i felt a little bit like i was getting some sequence breaking stuff in bloodborne but i think really what it actually boiled down to was just areas that you don't have to go to ever i mean so much of that game is optional i was thinking about the like the actual direct path i've not watched any speedruns or anything of the game but if you just kill the necessary bosses there must only be about six of them in the entire thing <laughs> well let's let's I, count it uh there'd be father g amelia yeah. uh rom 
Um, You've got to do uh, Shadows of Yarnum? Shadows, uh, Shadows and then Ram. So let's see. Shadows, Ram. Oh, that's four. Um, the One, one Reborn. reborn. five. Uh, so Mikolash and the Wet Nurse. And then Gurman. And that's it. You don't even have to kill Gurman if you I guess, take... I guess you don't. Yeah, because you can, you can take yeah, and beat you can the game. Yeah, you agree to his thing. Yeah, so that's seven bosses. Seven bosses. <laughs> and there must be maybe 20? I mean, and, and look, add the Chalice Dungeons in there, right? Like, if you want yeah. to get the... If you do, start talking about doing the Platinum run, then you're talking, yeah. um, you know, probably 20, 25, maybe 30 unique bosses in there. It's, yeah, I'm not, I'm not at that level yet of doing the Chalice Dungeons, but I... Because I finished playing it, like... I don't know, maybe three, four weeks ago. Yeah. And I, I wasn't going to do the chalices because I did a bunch of them at the beginning. And I, I honestly, I think part of the problem was I went in there too early. Like I did all of the Thumaru chalices. I think I did three or four of them up until I can't remember what the boss is. He's like the old Yarnamite or something like that. It's like oh. a big dude with big um, curved swords. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I he can't like remember that dude's name. Yeah, the, the, is it the descendant? Is it the Tumerian? Yeah, descendant? that's it's yeah, something yeah. along those lines. Yeah, old Yarnamite. But I did all of that. I think before I even did Rick or Amelia, and oh, yeah, uh, it was yeah, yeah it was be really brutal. beating me down. And I got <laughs> I got pretty fed up with it and decided eh, if they're all just you know continuations of this same kind of weird like. Uh, you know, randomly generated looking labyrinth with this ridiculous like challenge bosses and stuff. I'm probably not going to do it, but now I've finished the game and I've put it aside. I'm thinking, oh, I, sh- I could go back to Bloodborne. Like, I'm sure at some point down the line I will. I'll get a you know pang for it and I'll go back. But I guess at the moment the remaster is really. I'm fully in the zeitgeist with that now. I mean, it's only the. I say only. It's only the third or fourth time that I've played a Souls game as it's been released. So it's, it's great when you've like got your entire Twitter feed talking about it, and you go into the game and you do you um you know use the cracked red eye orbs, and immediately it's just yep, they go straight away. Yep. Or and there's drop your half sign. a dozen summon signs yeah, everywhere. Man, that's so great. Like I walked into uh, I don't remember where it was now, but I walked into somewhere and there was just, oh I think it was right outside the undead parish like. Mm-hmm. where the the three undeads are um before you walk into the church and yeah, yeah. That, that's always a very popular area to get summoned for whatever yeah. reason and it was just plastered with signs <laughs> like i i feel bad for anybody trying to like just summon their friends without using a password system uh but just because trying to find a sign in there would be almost impossible yeah the the thing that really um really got me was uh if you're anywhere hanging around near firelink or heading through the parish the bell was just ringing almost constantly. Oh, so great. And it's then they, incredible. I've they, never heard that before. They added the uh, the second bell sound now too. So yeah. if, you're, if you're down in Blight Town or you're down in the Demon Ruins, like it's constantly mm. going down there as well. And I, I love it. I always wondered why that wasn't a thing. And I don't I don't know. It seems like they, they've the, the game has changed in some pretty subtle ways. Like it seems like the AI has changed a little bit. Like I wonder how much of a of a limitation that previous generation of consoles really gave them because I'm seeing like bosses do things that they would very rarely, if ever, do when I, whenever I played the game before. Like the uh, thinking, like the meteor attack for for a bed of chaos. Like she, she hardly ever did that. Like that was a super rare thing that, like you know, a couple of people mm-hmm. had videos on mm-hmm. on YouTube. And now she's I, from streams. I'm watching like she's doing it constantly. And I'm like, oh man, this is gonna make this shitty boss fight even shittier because <laughs> it's a terrible <laughs> attack. Uh, so it's nice to have oh. it on a on a, like a new console and like kind of it just feels oh, it's amazing. It feels expansive, man. I just I'm I'm in love with it. I looked at my play clock. It came out Same. here um, Friday. 
or I guess Thursday night at midnight, Friday morning at midnight. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have 14 hours on my play clock since then. <laughs> and it's and just to, just to let you know it's Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm so I probably on like maybe 7 or 8 hours already and I've only had it since uh when I, whenever I texted you and um, DM'd you and said I was uh, just cracking into it, it's probably eighteen hours ago at the most. Yeah, that was. I think that was yesterday. So. Yeah, it was yesterday <laughs> afternoon because I went out to work and I didn't think I had the copy of it. It hadn't turned up, and I found it as I was going out. I was like, "Oh shit!" It did turn up this morning at some point. But I'm I'm in a block of well, I'm in a flat, so my letterbox isn't actually on my front door. Gotcha. So it doesn't come straight into my uh, into my flat. Um, but yeah, so I've only been. Yeah, that was like eight o'clock last night or something. Seven or eight o'clock last night. It's now midday the following day. And all I can, um, and all I can think about doing is, is going back to it. Like uh, mm. it's a it's a holiday weekend here. It's Memorial Day weekend here, so I have tomorrow off as well. And uh, yeah, it's a bank holiday here tomorrow. I'm working a bit, but I'm probably just gonna you know cut it as fine as I can and just come home and play games instead. My my wife wanted to my wife wants to go out like and pick up her dad and we'll go out to lunch and she wants to go see Deadpool mm-hmm. 2 and like have this day and I'm like or we could just stay home like you could, you could catch up on your reading and I'll I'll just play Dark Souls all day and I've really like going out and watching movies sounds like a good time like that's not yeah. but it's all yeah, they I seem like do. reasonable compromises I was saying yesterday like you know she wanted to watch Real Madrid or wanted you to watch it with her it's like you could be doing so many worse things instead of oh, I, yeah. you could be sat there watching like fucking you know Bridezillas or something <laughs> Where did you uh, where did you start with Dark Souls? Like way back when, like you said, you played it like five years ago. Uh, what was the impetus for picking it up originally? Uh, oh, sorry, Jeremy, are we um, are we already well into this? Because I was just kind of shooting the shit. Oh, yeah, I yeah. started I figured, recording like, on my end. I usually uh, I usually do the. I, I go ahead and start recording if you want to. But you're coming <laughs> yeah, in. Yeah, I, I definitely should. I usually I've, do yeah. like a like a pre podcast routine. But since we just started talking about Dark Souls, I was like, fuck <laughs> it, let's talk about Dark Souls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and do we have to cover all of this again? No, not at all. Not at all. Just, I'll uh, I'll trim this up, and we can just like, keep on going like it's a normal conversation. So don't, okay. don't worry about. I'll it. I'll start recording. Um, if I record a mono track on Audacity, I can export it into wh- whatever file you. I think we use AIFF when I do Kana and stuff. That's fine. That's but, totally cool. Um, yeah, whatever, whatever suits, and I can I can stick it in your Dropbox or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Uh, right. Where were we? I was just asking, like, how and uh, why did you pick up Dark Souls 1 for the first time? Okay, um, I've got quite a sort of long, interesting story about playing the original Dark Souls. I don't know if you remember um, when you and I first started sort of, I guess, tweeting each other and talking and stuff. you remember the um, the kind of instigating event for that or not? I, I don't, actually. So I, I've always kind of had the impression that um, at that point you must have been either maybe you'd already started doing this or you were kind of planning it um and it was like a oh i'm gonna gonna you know make sure i nail this guy down for at some point in the future <laughs> probably i was so, probably had it in the back of my in the back of my head no matter what like i don't give up skeleton was an idea at least two years before uh, i actually started doing it so yeah and i think this was probably about three years ago um there was something um i can't remember the exact details but some sort of call out for um you know, people to send in stories or something for uh, Twin Humanities podcast that they were doing at that point. And I can't remember exactly what it was. It was something like, um, you know, times you kind of bounced off a game or sort of, you know, couldn't get into it as much as you wanted to. And I had this um, this experience with the original Dark Souls where at the time it came out, um, 
I was living in Australia and had been for a number of years at that point. I, uh, and there was a TV show in Australia called, um, uh, it was called Good Game. It was basically a sort of a game review preview show that was on their, um, one of their like government run TV channels. And I used to watch it every week and just see sort of upcoming stuff and, you know, get interested in things. And they started talking about um, this game Dark Souls, so I guess it was probably like mid-2011, because the game came out, I think, in September or October. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was like a couple of months before they started talking about this game, and I was watching the show and thought, oh, that, that kind of looks interesting. Like There was a lot of talk about it was sort of unrelenting, and I'm sure at that point they were also mentioning it being a sequel to Demon's Souls, but I'd never played Demon's Souls. I don't think I'd ever heard of it. Uh, I didn't have a PS3, um, so that had completely glossed over me. Uh, but yeah, when they started talking about this Dark Souls thing, it, it immediately piqued my attention. I was, I was kind of very, very interested in it. Um, at the time, I was, I don't think I'd been working for a few months, so I didn't have any money. Um, the game came out. I went and traded in a couple of other things I guess I was done with I think I was kind of rushing to finish up playing um, like Red Dead Redemption and like Borderlands or something which yeah kind of had reasonable levels of enjoyment in but um, I went and traded them in and got this copy of Dark Souls basically for free Um, and I immediately just really really enjoyed it I can't remember exactly the situation because it's coming up for seven years ago now but I, I know that I kind of chucked my hat into the ring and just got on really really well and you can look back I was playing on the Xbox 360 like you can look back at your um like timestamps on on achievements and things like that and I can see that I did in about four days um I must have got from the beginning of the game through to I know that I ended up in the depths so I did I did the first bell like really really quickly within a day or two went down to the depths and at that point this was early November um I'd been I'd been pretty unwell like the previous six months or so and you know I really needed to have um needed to have surgery to kind of fix the I had um uh, a form of um ulcerative colitis I had stomach ulcers and ulcers in my intestines and I'd had um I'd had sort of medication and treatment and dietary change and stuff for months and none of it had really solved the problem I was being you know I was really sick and a lot of pain couldn't eat or drink properly and this the situation kind of arose that uh I could potentially have an operation to um to remove some of the worst affected areas uh which would hopefully solve the problem but um Australia doesn't have a, a completely kind of government funded um, healthcare system they have kind of a half and half with insurance and it would have cost a hell of a lot of money to have the have the operation there um, so my um, my parents at the time who were back in England and had you know I'd moved out of their house five or six years previously they suggested well, why don't you come back here have an operation here you can either have it done on the NHS or if it has to be done privately you know it can be um you know it'll be a lot cheaper than it was in Australia so mm-hmm. I left where I was living thinking oh this is fine you know I'll be back in a couple of weeks just kind of like packed uh packed like some real basic stuff away 
and left all of my shit behind, left all of my games and consoles and stuff, thinking, oh, this is basically going to be like an extended holiday. But then with, you know, the nature of operations and medical care and stuff, it takes longer than you expect and recovery times longer. And it ended up stretching to the point where a few months later, I was still in England at that point, like, you know, I had been absolutely desperate to to get back. And, you know, I was, I was still feeling pretty shitty. I, I was still recovering from surgery and stuff. And... Uh, at some point, I think my brother went to Australia and I got him to, to like pack up a load of my stuff and bring it back to England because it was getting more and more obvious that I wasn't going to make it um, make it back that soon or as soon as I'd wanted to. And he bought all of my consoles and stuff back. So I got this um, I got this copy of Dark Souls back and I was immediately like, I want to get back into this. I was really enjoying this for the, like the week that I got to play it before I left. And I loaded the game up, and I had um, my character was sitting at the depths bonfire at the top of the depths. And because it had been at this point probably three or four months since I'd played it, <laughs> I was completely kind of lost. I didn't know where I was. I don't know why I couldn't get back out of the depths because you know the entrance is is basically there. But um, you know I was kind of not sure where I was. Uh, so I went a little bit further in probably got like completely turned around and lost I think I ended up getting cursed and at that point I was just like like mentally and physically I felt awful you know I was I was starting to starting to get a you know real kind of funk on and sink into a pretty bad depression which ended up for the next couple of years um, because you know essentially like my life had been turned upside down I'd kind of lost all the stuff that I'd been working for I was ended up at 25 26 like moving back in with my parents and I didn't want that and I don't think they really wanted it and I was just miserable and I had this this kind of really weird um link with this character in Dark Souls who was like hollow and lost and cursed and forgotten sitting at this bonfire in this horrible place and it just I just thought this is this is what I feel like I feel like I've gone hollow and I've been left behind and it took me a long time before I kind of started feeling better and able to, you know, throw myself back into it. I think it was another best part of another 18 months, like 15, 18 months before I went back and, and really sunk into it. But it, it then had this sort of opposite effect where because it was at the same time that I was recovering or, you know, sort of finally getting over everything that I'd been you know suffering from I picked the game back up and with this kind of renewed sense of happiness and healthiness I just threw back into it and I I got through it really really quickly and I absolutely adored playing through it and um, at the same time I think it was it was while the original season of Bonfireside Chat where they did Dark Souls was was being released I think I, I picked it up and they'd done about six or seven episodes of it. So I was listening to that while I was playing through the game and, you know, learning a hell of a lot more about it than I would have done otherwise and growing this appreciation for it that I don't think I would have had in, in any other circumstance. And it was, I think, again, I can go back and look at the um, like timestamps and stuff on the achievements. I think it took me about four weeks uh, from when I picked it back up when I was sat in the depths to... Um, I finished it, I got all of the achievements out of it, which is 
I think in the original game, you've got to get about halfway through New Game Plus Plus. Yep. So you've got to get three weapons from one of the boss souls. I can't remember which one it is. I think it's, it might um, be Sif. It is Sif, yeah, because there's three versions of that sword. Or, or, yeah. or, or Wurg. There's there's more versions now with the DLC added. Uh, but you have yeah, to get I, to Anorlando to be able to get to the giant blacksmith to be able to yeah. get that last one. Yeah, so that, that was it. So I had from about the end of March to the first couple of weeks of May, I ended up getting through the game, uh, finished off my original playthrough, kind of, I guess when, again, sort of forgotten about it a little bit, but I guess getting all of the achievements includes getting all the weapons up to high levels. I think you've got to get a, a max level weapon in every single type, so there's a lot of grinding. I distinctly remember spending at least a few hours and probably like 20 soul levels um, grinding those guys in the forest that you can just you can kind of run around and then make them fall off the edge and get a load of souls <laughs> yeah it's the easy the, the easy way to grind yeah <laughs> it's that's the that's the good early portion way in the game but then when you get to um uh the painted world you can run around that statue with all the, um, oh, yeah, the yeah. slug things with the spears and you can do it again so i probably spent a lot of time grinding that out but um yeah so over the course of five weeks or so yeah I, I finished it off i got up to new game plus plus i remember fin i finished new game plus plus because i wasn't you know i wasn't happy just leaving it sat there in uh you know in the middle of the game and i loaded that um loaded that uh save up again because it went backwards compatible on the xbox one i was looking at it a few months ago when one of my friends was talking about potentially playing it uh before they'd announced the remaster and i think i've ended up with like 180 hours or something on that wow, first, yeah. first game all on one playthrough like all on the same character like I've not been a big um, big fan of like going back and trying out different builds and stuff particularly I kind of find something I like and then stick with it and that's kind of like my pure playthrough of the game it's like this was this was the way that I would have done it I'm not really don't feel the need to go back and be like oh I'm going to now try like a completely faith based build or or something along those lines. I kind of get my um, get my play style, and that's that. It's it's interesting <laughs> how that how that works out. Like the because I think everybody has a special place in their heart for their like their first Dark Souls run, regardless yeah. if it was Dark Souls one or two or three or Bloodborne or anything. Like there's something special about that because um, I just saw CJ say this on Twitter actually when I was looking at Twitter this morning, um, mm. encouraging people like that are playing it for the first time to not look up anything to just to go in blind yeah. and. Like yeah. all of the mistakes that you make will be mistakes, and it may like lock you out of something that you would have otherwise wanted to see. But you'll you'll appreciate that later, as opposed to looking up everything and going down a, a, like a list of check marks to be able to do. Um, because that first playthrough, like you know, getting cursed in the depths is it's horrible. It's bad. It's not good. <laughs> it's <laughs> but, an experience. But it's an experience, and it, not not all experiences have to be good to be experiences and to be good experiences. If that makes sense. Um, like yeah, it's, for it, sure. There's something. There's something about bumbling around in these worlds and, f and figuring it out on your own or f doing the best job that you can you know not the best job of somebody yeah. else i think is, is really fascinating it creates your it makes it your own narrative in a lot, in a lot of ways which really good video games do that mm. and and some video games just aren't capable of doing that in, in certain ways i'm playing god of war right now and mm -hmm. as for as fun as that video game is and it is extremely fun. Like I'm having a great time with the combat and everything else. Like I feel like I'm doing exactly the same that every, same thing that every single other player that has played God of War is doing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like everybody is going through basically the same steps, and that doesn't make it less of a good video game. It just 
there's something about that souls man that makes you makes it feel like mm. your own so yeah i mean it's something that open world games do to some extent but even if you look at i mean i you talk about um you talk about like skyrim quite a lot on on this podcast because i feel like it came out at basically the same time and lots of people were into that game and i guess it's like you know got a shitload of marketing and hype and stuff beforehand and you know it's the fifth game in a franchise um but those games yeah i was a i was a big big fan of um morrowind originally and then i i got uh, oblivion when i first got my xbox 360 and i really enjoyed both of those but they've got a, a thing with those games where i feel like they've each further iteration that's come out has kind of dumbed it down a little bit and made it a bit more sort of it's now not a hardcore RPG, it's now an action RPG. And, you know, there's a lot of franchises that do similar things, you know, I feel similarly slightly aggrieved by the way that Mass Effect, the original one, started off as being like a, you know, had like quite a lot of weird systems and things that you could argue are just kind of fiddly, and then it's like the second one was more of an action RPG, and then the third one, it swung even further towards the action and Dead Space did the same thing, and Resident Evil seems to have done the same thing up until the the most recent one. So it's kind of that, like, I guess losing the niche aspects of it, or the more niche aspects to kind of become more generic is something that I've, you know, I've taken umbrage to with lots of franchises, and The Elder Scrolls has definitely done that, but you can play something like Skyrim and you can argue that it's a big open world and there's tons of stuff to do and there's, you know, there's a lot of quests and stuff, but it is a lot of quests. I mean, everybody who plays it, who plays the main quest, plays the same missions. And you can do them slightly differently, but not, you know, not like entirely differently, not really. You will still be tasked with go here and do this thing. And whether you do that as someone who runs in with a sword and shield or someone who sits half a mile away and fires arrows or magic, <laughs> you know, I guess that's the difference. But it kind of boils down to you're doing the same thing in the end or you're achieving the same goal. And I guess, I guess, um, you know, Dark Souls is, it's got the same feeling to it, like, you know, we are all going to go through the game and you are going to have to kill the same bosses and stuff to get to the end, or for the most part, but I like, um, yeah, I really, really like the weird sort of sequence breaking and stuff that, uh, that something like Dark Souls is, uh, you know, is really, really, you know, it's, it's a prevalent thing, and, you know, you were talking about this earlier, uh, that you're what you did Ornstein and Smo before you did the um, the Capra David. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's just uh, the, the fact that you can do that. And I did, yeah, we were talking on Twitter last night. I did my first, um, my first proper boss in the, in the remaster after um, the Asylum Demon was I went down and did Pinwheel, which I would never have considered before. I just figured that would be kind of, A, a fun challenge. B, you suggested that... Uh, it would be kind of a good route to get the great scythe because that's the sort of build that I, you know, I want or the, the kind of weapon that I want for my current character build. And you know, I didn't realise also the extra bonus was um, I ended up getting the um, I got the right of kindling, which I wanted, but I've not I've not used it yet because that seems you don't really need twenty Estus plus when you're going through the parish. You don't even really need ten. You can get away with five. Um, but I got the uh, the mask of the mother as well, which fits really well with my character. It's like a cool kind of thing to have because my since I played um, uh, Scholar which I got um, I got when that released the proper like physical version of it which came out at pretty much the same time as Bloodborne mm-hmm. at that point I didn't have a PS4 and um, I, I'm i not really entirely sure if I would have been 
capable of playing Bloodborne at that point. I'd um, I injured myself when I was at work, and I had um, I had my arm in a cast for like seven weeks. Oh, and geez. I think I would have had a lot of trouble playing playing Bloodborne at that point. But I kind of consoled myself by getting Scholar because I'd already I'd played through Dark Souls two and you know basically put like two hundred hours into it at that point. So I'm like, well, I can I can play Scholar. I kind of know what I'm doing with this. Um, but because it was kind of at the same time as Bloodborne, I decided um, having previously played uh, Bloodborne at um, the Eurogamer Expo, so I kind of played the demo version of it six months before it came out, like knowing how the game played I wanted to make a character build for Scholar that would be similar sort of thing to how people will go forwards and play Bloodborne so and I've, I've stuck with that since I've now done Dark Souls 3 in the same way and the remaster I'm doing the same way so I've basically made like a, a high dex character who doesn't really wear any armor so I've, I've stuck them in um it's it's kind of fashion souls really. I've basically just stuck them in like cleric robes and that sort of thing, like whatever looks good. Um, and I've given them a, a katana in one hand. And Dark Souls two, I really liked the hexes. So my kind of you know my character build that I wanted for this scholar was essentially like a sort of a a black witch character who also wielded uh, wielded a katana in the other hand, which of course you know then ended up getting whatever that like the dark imbuement or whatever it was that that did like poison oh not poison um like the i guess it's just called dark isn't it but like the sort of abyss damage um and i i really like that so no shield no proper armor just darting about rolling back and forwards you know getting in for a few quick uh, quick like katana swipes or standing back and chucking a whole load of um like dark orbs or whatever mm-hmm. um unfortunately i was really gutted uh when Dark Souls 3 came out that they removed the hexes from it which I, I don't really see the point of like, I, I like the hexes, I know that they were probably pretty overpowered and you could get a lot like I ended up with this character that had something like 80 dark orbs uh, <laughs> bonfire you see so you just stand there and just spam these dark orbs I did people. the same thing man it was so great like a, you know you say they're Brilliant. overpowered but like there's nothing wrong with having overpowered stuff in a video game like I, I get it from a PvP perspective and I participate yeah. with that a little bit but they got it. They well, got it. Specs for it. Yeah. They, in, in PvP, you feel like people don't think about the consideration that the other person might be using magic. So nobody really specs for magic builds. And occasionally, there's like bosses and stuff in the game. But if you're going hard in one direction, your best bet is probably to spec against physical damage because overall, that'll probably give you like the best chance against any average enemy. But hexes just seemed like nobody was um, nobody was doing anything about them, and same with the enemies. Like, I don't really remember there being very many enemies in the game that were spec to to be like resistant against hexes. Not until the uh, DLC came out, like once the uh, yeah. the Sunken King DLC, because I, I I played a, my first build was primarily a hexer, and uh, mm. you know new game probably three or four by that point. It was like oh yeah, I can do the DLC. I'm I'm a super overpowered wizard. With a with a funny hat with stars and moons on it, and then go into the DLC. Yeah. I was like, nope, I'm gonna, and, and literally started a new build and like race to the DLC so I could get access to the DLC with a strength build because I didn't. It was too much for me on a on a hex build. I I stuck with it, but I guess I probably ended up just using my katana more often than the, than going with the the hexes. But I I went through all the DLCs in Scholar, uh, and I I never changed anything. Occasionally, I if I was doing um. PvP, I'd have a shield in my offhand 
that instead of actually using it as a shield, I'd use something like, um, I think in Dark Souls 1, it's like the Grass Crest Shield or whatever. There's one that if you, you can double hand your weapon and the shield will be on your back, but you'll still get like the increased stamina. Yeah, um, that's the Grass Crest. Bonus Absolutely. or whatever from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if it's it continues to be the Grass Crest in 2 and 3. Uh, but yeah, so I, I occasionally would do that, just like have the shield on my back, so I'd be getting the... Um, the extra bonus from it if I was messing about with PvP, and I, I've kind of dabbled across all of the games because I've um, I've done the original Dark Souls, Dark Souls Two, uh, the first release of it, Scholar. Um, I've all of those. I've I've played them on the Xbox, so I, I can't say I've platinumed them, but um, essentially I've you know I've got all the achievements out of them, so I think they're exactly the same deal between the two versions or the two different consoles. I, the achievements and trophies are the same lists. And then Dark Souls 3, I've basically done everything in that that you can do in the first game. I've not gone back and done a second run of it yet, and I know that you need to do a couple more for endings of the game, and there's like various um, spells and rings, I think, is only the only things that I need to collect, but on second playthrough. So each of them that I've gone through... I've kind of done what's been required of like co-op and PvP and stuff to get the it's generally like covenant rewards like get to level 3 and the um you know like the warriors of sunlight covenant to get one of the the high level magic spells and yep. you know each time dark souls 2 you have to do I think 30 successful runs as a bell covenant and either 10 or 30 like successful um Oh, what's the rat covenant called? Is it is it just the rat covenant? Uh, yeah. One where you like yeah. set up traps to covenant, stop people yeah. from mm-hmm. getting through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've got to like kill people like that thirty times, and there's various. So I've I've kind of dicked about with all of the the different like PvP covenants and co-op covenants and weird stuff uh, in each of the games to get get the rewards out of them. But yeah, I've had a hell of a lot of fun. I think um, probably the most enjoyment I got out of it was in Dark Souls Three. Basically, just being a dick with the um, uh, boy. Have you come to the right podcast? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've never used karmic justice before. I will say that. I'm sorry. Um, but the the purple phantoms, the is it mad phantoms or insane phantoms mm-hmm. in um, in Dark Souls Three? I had so much fun because you've got to get um, whatever their item that that they get for the Covenant Award. I think it's like a rib or a vertebra or something like that. You get for a successful whatever successful entails. Um, and I went to. You remember in um, the Irithil, just as it's turning into An Orlando, after you've beaten the. Um, who's the guy in the the big church who's got like the two different swords? Pint of Sullivan. That's the one. Yeah. After his boss fight, there's that little arena, um, that little like semicircular arena with some steps and stuff. Uh, and I think you can kind of. It's got this incredible vista where you're looking at. It's, I don't think it's actually the um, Arch Dragon Peak, but it kind of looks like it's like a big mountain, and it's like it's sort of semi-dark, and there's stars and stuff. So there's this this great little set piece where everybody just ended up using it for. Um, uh, oh God, oh, my brain is full of holes. Um, like fight clubs, and at that point in the game, also you've just come into the area where there's the the Aldrich. Are they Aldrich Faithfuls? who get mm-hmm. automatically summoned in when there's people in that area. So you had these fight clubs in this area where you'd get someone summoning and they'd be like the orange, like the sort of the bad orange sun bros. 
and the um, the regular invaders and there'd be the Aldrich faithful people coming in and I used to just really mess about in that area invading as a mad phantom and I just used to fuck with people like, I wasn't really <laughs> interested in doing the fight club so I'd do things like I got the um, what's the the spell is it chameleon that like makes you turn into a pot or some shit like yeah, that yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, it, in, it disguises you and in that area you turned into like one of three or four different like models of statues so I used to summon in uh, or invade in as the mad phantom um use chameleon to turn into a statue and because there'd always be like people spawning from two or three locations and running to the fight club um so i used to spawn in kind of go up behind somebody turn into the statue and do things like when they were walking forwards not like not looking at me i'd move and then i'd freeze when they turned around and just sort of stand there and um i'd sort of sneak up like come up behind them in the statue mode turn into a human and like quickly backstab them or they'd be the um like the covenant, uh, covenant leader, the fight club leader, like the guy who sets it up. I guess because if they die, it kind of shuts the whole thing down and kicks everybody out. So they kind of go in. They'd sit at the top of the little semicircle, and just it would be the other people who came in. It would be like all the invaders and co-op people who'd actually do the fighting. So I'd I'd come in and I'd stand there like behind the guy who's just sitting on the floor watching, and I'd like be quickly swapping out weapons or like spinning around in circles or like just gesturing madly and it would freak the hell out of them they'd obviously always think oh this guy's going to do something stupid he's a mad phantom he's going to backstab me or like kick me off the edge or something and I had so much fun just yeah freaking people out like running around (laughs) just going to the top of the area where there's the people fighting and casting that pyromancy that makes all the pillars of flame come out of the ground just being like yeah whatever this this will hit somebody you're all going to get pissed at me but it'll be funny and after all I am one of the mad phantoms so I guess this is kind of the point yeah, I have a oh, I have so a special fun. affinity to being dicks being a dick to fight clubs like uh, just breaking in and like pretending to go along with it and like set up for a duel and then just immediately try to kill the host with some overpowered magic where and then everybody like tries to chase you down and you're just laughing oh, maniacally. I mean it's 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 kind of it's very trollish. Don't get me wrong, but like Dark Souls brings out my inner troll in a way that very few games ever do, and it's just delightful. Like the the people that treat it super seriously are are. I think missing out a little bit um, because yeah, and I, and I like get the it. Rules and stuff like yeah. bowing before fights and um, yeah, no estacing during fights. You know, the worst worst thing that I absolutely despise is when you go into a you invade somebody or you know they invade you. Right? It's it's normally I invade them because it kind of changes the rules. But you know, you'll you'll go in, you'll like take someone's health all the way down. They'll heal up. They'll kind of you know parry back at you and get you down. If you then heal and you end up winning the fight, you're pretty much guaranteed that you're going to get a barrage of abuse about, oh, you shouldn't be fucking healing, you're an invader. So, well, this is a weird double standard where I can practically kill you, and you can heal like four times, and then you get pissed off at me when I do it as well. Well, I can, That doesn't and, make any sense. You get the messages about not bowing beforehand, oh, or like, yeah, you throw a fireball but, from like the top of the thing, or like you plunge attack somebody from uh, where the channeler is at the top of um, the church in the parish while they're coming through. Oh man, they get so pissed. Oh, you know all about it. You run that blog. You used to run the blog of people just fucking calling you all sorts of names. Yeah, it's, uh, it be, being tied that much into hate mail for a couple of years was was a real interesting experience. Like you get a, you get kind of an up close view of what people are expecting out of, out of these games and expecting from their multiplayer experiences. And 
it's it's one of these things where uh, I, I don't play a lot of online games, and if I do, they're mm. usually cooperative. Like I don't really play a yeah. lot of competitive multiplayer games. Um, so yeah, I've kind of fallen off competitive multiplayer in the last five or six years as well. I've virtually not played any of it, and it's it's strange. Like it seems like all of these weird cultures come up because people, like you mentioned, like the rules. None of this stuff is written down anywhere. And in the original Dark Souls one, invaders couldn't use Estus. They can now. The remaster mm. changed that. Mm. And actually, I kind of don't dig it. But we'll, you know, that doesn't really matter. Mm. But um, so if an invader managed to heal, it was because they cast a healing spell, ate a humanity, yeah. or used like you know a divine blessing or whatever. Which there was only so many in the game. So. To, to argue that an invader shouldn't use, utilize that because, you know, you shouldn't be healing. Well, like, you shouldn't let me be heal. You should be trying to kill me. Like, why, why are you backing off enough that I can eat a humanity, which takes 17 minutes in terms of Dark Souls PvP matches? I don't... I've, I've always been kind of kind of lost when people want to ascribe rules and facts. And I think it's fun. Like, I think if if you're the type of person who, when an invader comes, like, you, you wave or you bow and they... And they wave and they bow and like it's a fun experience. I think that's good, but yeah, you should def- you definitely shouldn't expect that. Like you should yeah. be you should enjoy it when it happens, but not actually expect it because, I mean, if you I've done it many times. Like and it's got to the point where I, I feel a little bit guilty for it. But you know, I used to if somebody bowed, I would run over and backstab them. And now, yeah. and now, if they bow, like I'll do, you like, should feel guilty about that. That is, a bit <laughs> bad. oh, it's bad. It's don't get me wrong. It's very bad. Unless you're a mad phantom, then you can do whatever the hell you want. And but, it's fine. But now, like when when that happens, I'll just run over and like kick them out of the gesture because it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, yeah. you, you, you're wasting my time with this. Somebody just, broke into your house and you're like, oh, what, what self home plan do you have? <laughs> like, let me mm. let's talk about plans. <laughs> no, dude, you got a house invader. Kill him. It's weird. There is, it's, I guess it's just a weird honor code that people have kind of built up a little bit. But it's, yeah, I don't see a huge amount of point. I mean, the thing that's the thing that's um, putting me off the PvP in the remaster, or the the specifically invasion. So I've I've not done very much of it yet because I'm still only. I've basically done. Well, I've killed Pinwheel. I've gone and done the parish. I've messed about a bit in Dark Root Base, and and I've gone back to the asylum. Um, but you know, you get the. Um, you get uh, is it Petrus the the guy who's like a bit of a snake in the grass mm-hmm, who mm-hmm. wants to kill the um, the female cleric. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you get his little stash of cracked red eye orbs. And I think you get four of them, and I I was there like an hour ago or two, and I got those orbs, and I I was like, well, I might as well use these things. You know, I might as well invade. There's going to be a ton of people messing about in here, and I don't know what they're going to be like. So I did all four invasions back to back. I had one that was actually one guy on his own and we had a really good duel where we both you know knocked each other almost down to to death a bunch of times and healed up and just kept going at it until i guess he ran out of estus and i i didn't have any left either but we we were like 90 percent of each other's health off back away other person would run in and try and get them quickly and it's like healing back and forth that would that was kind of good that was like a good good duel battle in a good area for the other three Every single one of them, there were like three people in there. It was each one was a host with a white phantom and then a sunbra as well. And it's just, what are you going to do with that? <laughs> like these people are just—I mean, they're like their own little form of gang squad. And I sat there watching, like at the top of the um, uh, at the top of the church where the channeler sits. Um, these three guys run in, and they came through the front entrance, and I, I could just hear the battle sounds. So I guess they took out the three or four boulder knights that you get in that first section and then the three of them just completely bum rushed the the big knight with the big sword uh, I think he's got a mace or a sword and like a huge shield the one who's 
who's guarding the um, firekeeper's cell. Yeah, yeah. And the three of them just bum-rushed him, and they killed him in, like, four seconds. You know, I, I lured that guy outside into the more open area where I could dodge roll, and it took me, you know... I think I chucked about four fireballs at him and smacked him a few times with my katana before he went down, but that, that felt like a fight. I don't know what satisfaction these people are getting out of the game when they're, you know, they're sort of going in as a gang squad and just it's like sort of systematically clearing it out. It's something like the military would do if they were busting up a, you know, <laughs> like a, a, a enemy base or something. I just don't see where the fun of that is, and it's definitely not fun when you invade and go into it and you just get three guys who all bum rush you. Yeah, especially when you're you know level twenty or thirty or whatever I was at the time. It's um, it's 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 weird because like I was doing a lot of sun brewing in the depths, um, mm. specifically to fight the gaping dragon. Because on the off chance that that Kirk invades, you know, you get five thousand souls from him, and you get twelve thousand yeah. as a sun brew for uh for the gaping dragon. And I was pouring all that into my pyro glove because I wanted to upgrade it as mm. quick as possible. So, yeah, uh, I need to do that. but people would summon me and like, okay, let's let's go clear this area. And I'm like, what? Mm. I just that's so alien to me because for me, Dark Souls has always been clear the area by myself, mm-hmm. um, and then go to the boss and figure out what's what the boss is like, and then if I need help, to summon help directly for yeah. the boss. Like yeah. I'd, I've never been one to summon a friend and to try like to me that the actual experience of playing souls games is is a very solo thing like the multiplayer mm. is there mm. as kind of a difficult adjuster for you if you need it which is great like you should have that you should have the ability to bring in your friends for for stuff i just i'm, I'm kind of with you like what if and again, not to not to keep talking about cj but cj was talking about this too like he was begging people like hey like if you're getting someone as a sunbro like follow your host you know, yeah. like let them make the decisions and try to help them out with with fights. Don't just run through and clear the level for them because yeah. I don't get that. Like, why would you want to do that? <laughs> like, if you were trying I mean, to do- surely ruining someone else's experience. If somebody summoned me in and I just ran forwards and like destroyed all the enemies and ran up and stood there at the boss door waiting for them, you know, uh, I you've ruined someone's playthrough of that level. And sure, you know they can. You know, if they're really fussed about it, they can go back and do the level again, or they can boot you back out and, you know, go and reload all the enemies and try it. But it's just, I mean, well, some of them, I guess, don't come back. There's quite a few in that parish that won't ever reappear. Like you can kill the the black knights and the pig and the uh, the channeler and the um, the big knight at the bottom of the stairs. You can go mm-hmm. and them and kill uh, Lotrek. I like killing him when he's in his jail cell because it seems more honourable than booting him off a cliff. <laughs> I just straight booted him off the cliff. It's like I don't want to mess with you. I don't, I'm not like, on this weird PvP build that I'm doing. Like I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go through your storyline progression. So later. No, I don't like that guy. I mean, I yeah, I definitely don't like that guy. You've mentioned this many, many times on the podcast as well. But that feeling when you come up from after doing Blight Town and you come back up through. I guess you come the back back entrance um, through the Valley of the Drakes and then mm-hmm. up the um, the New Londo elevator. When you come up there and you find that that bonfire's gone, that is just, that's a really sort of soul-crushing moment in trying to think, where the hell am I going to go now, like, to level up before I lose all these souls that <laughs> exactly. I've from the depths and whatnot. Because, you've, because, you know, assuming that you have souls, because, you know, you, you, you beat Quaylog, and hopefully you went mm. back to that that, that bonfire and, and, like, before trying to go up to Blighttown, up from Blighttown, because that's impossible. Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned something earlier when we were talking about Skyrim and kind of the mm-hmm. the feel of the world as as you progress through it. I wondered, um, Skyrim tries to present a very like 
they they want to immerse you in this very believable world that happens to yeah. have like you know dragons and spells and elves and all this other stuff. But they want it to make yeah. it like very immersive and realistic, versus something like Dark Souls where the NPCs all behave and and act very weird and different than you would expect from like you know a an average an average person in a video game. Um, hmm. I wonder if Dark Souls is more successful at at drawing like me personally in or and possibly you as well because of that because everything is a little weird and off it feels a little bit more interesting as opposed to trying like you go into a village and people are at a pub and you know drinking beer or yeah. selling selling pelts or, or whatever like a lot of that stuff kind of the the like trying to get me in to make it seem like I'm in another world doesn't really necessarily work is it putting me into a strange place and making me curious about it does that does that make sense yeah. like I wonder if that's I, I yeah I completely understand where you're coming from with that I mean I've played, fuck yes. I played Skyrim because I was a fan of the previous. Um, so I think my play clock on Skyrim was probably like two hundred and fifty, three hundred hours. I couldn't name you a single NPC in that game. <laughs> I could, I can name you the towns in it. I can, like, I could give you a few bits and pieces, but yeah, I couldn't tell you what the names of the quest givers or anything were like that whatsoever. It's, it doesn't have the immersion, and it's, it's a good world. Like, I mean, one of the reasons I enjoyed those games. Uh, certainly when I was playing Morrowind in like 2003 and Oblivion in like 2006 uh, I was super impressed with them because at that time uh, I don't think I'd ever seen anything that had been um, sort of an impressive accomplishment of building a world that was that big and that did feel like it was lived in it did have like day-night cycles and characters that would interact with each other and you know, very specific lines of dialogue that you could have with people, and it had you know someone has gone through the the world in that game, and they've written like in-game books and things. So there's a huge amount of lore behind it all, and it's it's incredibly impressive. And something like Morrowind absolutely was impressive to me in 2003 because I I'd definitely never seen something that was that size that had been crafted, but it kind of loses its luster I think as as the years go on, and Skyrim is probably no more impressive uh, than the previous were and when you start to, you know, when you've played through a couple of them and you realise well, somebody did a lot of work here at some point, but all of these books that are sort of telling stories and stuff from fairy tales and explaining things, they're all the same ones that have been in here since at least Morrowind and they were probably there before that so actually someone hasn't created this it's kind of been pasted together from lots of things that they've previously had Interesting. Um, I, I didn't realize that. I, I knew that. I knew that the, the game had books in it, obviously, mm. but I didn't. I didn't kind of realize how that played out. I want to make sure too. Like, I don't like. Obviously, you've you played the hell out of Skyrim, um, but I don't. Yeah. I don't have a problem with Skyrim. I've always been uh, curious why that game because I've tried it several times because it's you know by all accounts it should work for me. <laughs> like it's yeah. it, you know it's got weird magic systems and its thing and I just it never clicked for me until you were talking about kind of the the world itself and I was thinking well I wonder what, if that's the reason like I've just yeah. never been. Every time I've played it, I, f- I felt like I was—I just was not curious about anything happening in it at all. Where, you know, the Shadow of the Colossus remaster came out this year, and I literally spent—I mean, I don't know how many hours—like looking at rocks and going, like, "Why did somebody put this rock here? It seems so yeah. specifically placed." And that—that's the kind of thing that I—that that, I—I I do, I guess. I don't know how my, my brain works that way, but it does. Um, yeah, the Elder Scrolls games—they have that. I think when you've mentioned. You know, not liking Skyrim in the past. The thing that you've always brought up is that you didn't like the combat. The combat doesn't feel weightier. It feels I'll, I'll, insignificant, that, yeah. and mm-hmm. yeah, just just mobs running at you from everywhere, and yeah, nothing, nothing kind of feels that um, 
uh, like perilous. You know, you never you get that feeling with Dark Souls, like even the really shitty rubbish enemies at the very beginning, if you're not paying attention, they can still kill you. Like I got killed earlier today by the um by the the really basic hollows uh, up in the top of the church um, where the Chandler is, the ones that the Chandler actually buffs if he's still alive. You know, but they can, if one of them gets behind you, you know, they only take one hit at that point in the game, probably from most weapons that you could be throwing at them. But if you get them surrounding you and they kind of back you into a corner or something, you know, you're done. And they're, they are, you know, your typical sort of fodder enemies. Whereas in something like Skyrim, you just feel too powerful. Like you, as soon as you've gotten past that first, you know, first few hurdles in the game where you've not got a weapon and you're really, really low level and you've not got any decent armor or anything, as soon as you get beyond that, there are. I mean, there are challenges there, and they have a weird system in some of the previous ones. I remember very specifically in Oblivion, um, the enemies and stuff would all um, scale with your level, so you'd get points where like for a handful of levels all of the like the random mobs that would spawn in the area would kind of be the same and then they they change as you leveled up so you'd get um i very distinctly remember like running around in the woods there and when you were like levels one to five there'd be rats that would come at you and you know they they wouldn't ever be that difficult then you'd get to level six and the rats would all be replaced with something else with like little goblins or something and when you first came up against them they'd be tough but then as you leveled up a few times and you were sort of at the top end of that point you know they'd become easy and then it would switch to something else they'd be like wolves and then it would switch to bears and each time when when it was like the first time you met them when you were like the lowest level you could be they were tough and then you just got too powerful but that was that was oblivion doing that i think skyrim just got more you just felt more overpowered like there wasn't ever anything really in Skyrim that gave me any trouble and you you can always kind of cheese things and it it wants you to feel powerful you know it wants you to feel like you're the the savior of the world because I guess that's what the storyline of the game goes for whereas Dark Souls very much isn't like that in most of the Souls games and Bloodborne it seems like you're pretty much an inconsequential just you know you are just one of a long line of people who are the same and everybody before you has failed and I guess everybody in the game expects you to fail as well and it just happens that you you know surpass what your predecessors have managed to do yeah but it's not I don't think it's about feeling powerful in in Dark Souls it's about feeling on edge and it always wants you to remember I think that you're vulnerable and I like that it, it ties a lot to you know, we we talked about this a bit earlier. I don't know if it was before recording started or not, but um, uh, I just listened to a previous episode of yours with an Australian guy called Robin, and he was talking about um, these these games uh, having kind of an element of survival horror to them, and I think that's that's one of the reasons that I'm really drawn to them as well because I really like horror and I really like that feeling of like. You sort of you're gripping onto your controller because you're sort of walking along a ledge and you could just sort of step off and you know you'd lose your progress or the enemies can suddenly sort of gang up on you. Something can come out of a side room and ambush you, and you're constantly tense because at any minute you can effectively lose. You, you can lose your progress. You can lose a lot of souls. You could lose a lot of time. You can be in areas that are difficult to get through. I mean, it, I was really feeling it last night because I went to. Um, I went to Pinwheel as the first boss and the the run to Pinwheel when you're like a level I think I was a soul level 11 character 
is you can't kill any of the skeletons because they're too powerful and they respawn anyway. So you basically leg it through the catacombs or the um, the graveyard until you get to the catacombs and you get into that first bonfire room and you can't light the bonfire until you've killed the, um, I don't know what the guys are, the, the magician guys who are, uh, they cast fireballs at you and I think if you kill them you can then also kill the skeletons and they stay dead but I'm not sure. But, but yeah, you've got to kill there's him. Like, there's like five of them hidden throughout that level. The yeah. Ne- the necromancers, yeah. Yeah, that's it, necromancers. So the one in the room with the bonfire, if you want to light the bonfire, you've got to kill him, which is not that easy at such a low level. And you've potentially got skeletons who've been chasing you through the first part of the catacombs <laughs> who pile in behind you. And you've got to do that because you've also got to pull the lever to open the door there, otherwise you can't actually get into the catacombs. Then to get to Pinwheel, the quickest route is you kind of you run along the side of the cliff face where there's a bunch of skeletons there and a bunch of guys like shooting either arrows or fireballs or stuff from the other side. You'd have to do two massive drops, which at that point in the game the drops were taking off probably about three quarters of my health each. So you do the drops. If anything else goes wrong, like you can have the skeletons will drop down behind you and sort of land on your head or I, I don't know if they can plunge attack you but they probably can there's those exploding skulls that also go off if you spend too long <laughs> on that second ledge then you drop down again to the bottom and then it's kind of a it's a real um, like a cannonball run of like am I going to get from here you, you basically drop onto two bone wheel skeletons who I'm sure anybody who's played lots of Dark Souls will tell you are some of the worst enemies in the game so you drop down to where they are and run through a fairly long path to get to um, to get to where the pinwheel boss fight starts. And at that point, you can still have kind of skeletons dropping down from up above who can land on you and like knock you down and slow you down. And you've just got to kind of run and hope and pray that the bone wheels don't um, don't get you along the route that they get caught up on something or that you sort of sidestep out of their way as they go zooming past you. Meanwhile, did Monty that. Python is playing in the background the entire Jesus time. <laughs> yeah, it's. It's not, not Monty Python. What's me... the what's the thing that I'm thinking oh, um, of? Benny Hill. Benny Hill. Thank you. Yeah, mm, mm. And that's what it's like. And it took me, I think, it took me probably about two hours to get from the bonfire to actually the point where Pinwheel was dead. And I think it took probably five or six actual runs at Pinwheel because I mean he's he's pretty pathetic, and I nearly got him the first time. Um, but it, it, I've not done that fight for years, and I wasn't. Um, wasn't really sure what to expect and he just kept splitting himself up and at the end point when I ended up dying there were about there were probably at least seven or eight pinwheels in the room just firing fireballs like sort of cross hatching across the room and I was I was able to take full health I think I could take three fireballs would kill me so I, I spent like a couple of hours doing that but there's that that run from there with all the drops and all the enemies and stuff and it's constantly just you are absolutely bricking it the whole time, like clutching your controller like mad, thinking, right, I'll get to the fight, and then he won't be too hard, and then you do something wrong, and it takes another 15 minutes to get back there because you get killed six <laughs> times along the way by the bloody bone wheels or the skeletons or the necromancers. But man, was it fun. And that's I love that feeling of tension as you're going. I don't want to... Um I don't want to not. I don't want to do this podcast and not talk about Bloodborne. Um, oh, for sure. I want to because uh, you just finished it, and uh, you and I, I have did. been communicating. And I like I've been watching your tweets and stuff as, as mm-hmm. you've been going through mm-hmm. that game. Um, I always like to ask people like how they came to find the combat in Bloodborne because it's so 
within the structure of a of what we know it to be a quote unquote Souls game, like it's so dramatically mm. different, I think, from the other ones. Was it easy to come to terms with that combat for you? Like, did you kind of click onto it pretty quickly, or did you have a lot of trouble with it? No, I I clicked with it, and part of the reason I clicked with it was because because I played it like six months before it came out. I played the the demo version of it at uh, Eurogamer, and then I played. Uh, scholar with a character who I set up as a Bloodborne kind of build, like a really heavy dex build with no shield and no real armor. And I played Dark Souls 3 in the same way. So I, yeah, when I came to Bloodborne, it was that combat was what I'd been doing for probably 300 hours worth of Dark Souls games by that point. So, it was yeah, what I, you were I waiting on. Loved it. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, I love playing a dex character now. And Bloodborne, I did, yeah, exactly the same thing. Kind of whatever armor looked cool, um, I used. Uh, I started off with the threaded cane because it seemed to be of the three that it gives you at the beginning seemed to be like the best dex weapon, and then switched up to um, uh, the uh, Ludwig's holy sword when you can get that, which I think is I think you get it after you beat Vicar Amelia or something. You get the badge for it. It's pretty pretty early on. You get it. And I just used that for the entire rest of the game. And that's my, my play style with that is give myself enough stamina and have the, the quick weapon like that so that I can dart in, I can wail up against something. And normally, you know, hunter-style enemies, you get in there, you get in their face, you give them about six hits from the weapon, and then you use your last little bit of stamina to dash backwards before they, they come back and counter. And so many times with the... Um, the hunter fights uh you get in there like that and during the course of six or seven swipes with the the holy sword it staggers them so it will knock them out of i guess it breaks their poise that so knocks them out of whatever attack they were winding up on and you can almost you're so quick um and you get so many hits in in such a quick time that if you just you get right in their face like that you can take them out in pretty much one flurry of attacks maybe a little bit more to finish them off and I I rarely used the the gun, which I think I think part of the problem was I chose the repeating pistol fairly early on, the one that fires a double shot, and didn't really it didn't fully make the connection until I heard somebody talking about it later on that I think that weapon is particularly difficult to get parries with because of the delay in the fire. Mm-hmm. So I barely did any any like weapon parries. And it took me an embarrassingly long amount of time to realise that um, you can backstab, but you've got to backstab with the charged R2 attack. I just thought for the longest time that you couldn't backstab. So I did most of the game with using very, very few visceral attacks. But I just had this strategy of just get in, get as much stamina as possible, and like, you know, powerful weapon, uh, upgrade it as much as you can, you know, buff it up. I was using. Um, there's one of the one of the spells you can use that buffs it. It's like um, it's one of the Abrita spells that puts arcane damage on it. Yeah, it's like an item. It's it like the, the shell or whatever. I can't remember the first. Yeah, yeah it's, but it's it's like the auger of Abrita. Or is that the that the one that fires the tentacle? That's the now? tentacle. That's a tentacle cannon. Okay. Um, is it the, the phantasm it, shell? Or phantasm like shell sounds sounds really yeah sounds really close. Yeah. yeah. So you can you can buff up the sword and you know will always do more damage regardless if you buff it up with something isn't it not going to do less mm-hmm. um, and I had the the threaded cane like I then ended up imbuing that with a bunch of fire gems and making that into a fire weapon so occasionally where there were things that were particularly weak to fire I'd bust the threaded cane out and that was that was pretty much that and I I spent a long time playing Bloodborne I really really enjoyed it 
but I wanted to tease it out and you know just sort of play it slowly and do it in bits and pieces and you know kind of just keep it on the back burner so that I'd always have Bloodborne to play if I wanted to you know while I was doing other things played lots of other games in the meantime and whatnot um, but it took me I think like I think I started it in September the first time I played it and finished it a few weeks ago so yeah it's like it's like six months seven months to get through it but I did all of the optional stuff in it I, I basically did everything apart from the Chalice Dungeons um, I did all the DLC and just absolutely adored almost everything about it. I mean, there were some things that drove me drove me crazy. A couple of the hunter fights are maddening. Um, <laughs> the the three v one in your uh, Ghoul is probably my my least favorite thing in, in Bloodborne. Yeah, that, it's, that it's, sucks. Yeah, it's not it's the not particularly plus... fun or challenging. I think because so, mm-hmm. you can just you know kite them to to fight them one on one. So it just becomes like kind of yeah. a, like a like a thing I have to do, I guess, to get past yeah. this area. And thank God they stay dead afterwards. I guess all the hunters do that, apart from the like the basic enemy hunters in the um, the hunter's nightmare, or the it is the hunter's nightmare, isn't it? Mm-hmm. The first area of the DLC. Yeah, um, the one that really, really caused me trouble was uh, I don't know what the name of the the hunter is, but the one who kills or it doesn't kill, but the one who um, the one who attacks Eileen, and you then fight them in the um, the cathedral where you fought Vicar Amelia. Oh yeah, yeah. He's infamously d- very difficult, and they've. Uh, it used to be where you could get him to do the transform Chicago thing or drain his health, yeah. and then just like yeah. he would just be stupid enough to not change out of that. But they 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 fix that fixes AI, so it's a little bit harder to do that now. So you actually have to fight him legit. I think he doesn't do it all the way until he dies. You can get him to lose a lot of health like that. Um, and I, that was the, the tactic I ended up using after dying probably 20 or 30 times was kind of stayed back. I like chucked loads of spit, um, throwing knives at him and used all the bullets and things like that and kind of just kited him back and forwards around the stairs and things until he was using the Chicago and whittled his health down as much as possible. And like, yeah, I chucked all my fireball, uh, Molotov cocktails and things like that at him. Um, he heals once when he's on like maybe a third of his health left so he heals himself up to full and then goes back down and yeah if you can you can dodge him while he's is it poison or he's bleeding himself out it's bleed right it's ble- well it's um yeah because it's like a um i'm trying to remember the weapon in dark souls that does it um one i think it's the is it the chaos blade that nicks you every time you cut it cut with somebody um like all like a lot of the almost okay. every, every every version of every they, there's usually a katana somewhere that like hurts you as you use it in some way yeah. so this one just yeah. it's not really poison damage it just takes off your damage every time like, as you're holding it in that transform i guess presumably it's because uh like in demon souls the the description it was like a hiltless handle so as you're holding it you're actually cutting your hands when you're holding, holding it. the blade yeah <laughs> so like that oh, that gives me like the bad kind of body horror movie <laughs> feeling that you see when someone gets stabbed yeah don't please don't like, do that cut open with something it's like no don't it's like you see the um like the samurai thing where someone like swings the blade and the person just like claps Hits, and yeah, grabs it yeah. um, it's like oh that looks awful we have a running joke yeah. on a uh, monster of the week the podcast i do about the tv show supernatural they're mm-hmm. always like because it's kind of a horror show, um, it, it gets yeah. a little weird. But they're they're constantly like using people's blood for weird wizardry spells and stuff. And like every yeah. single time, um, they, they just like cut the inside of their palm. And I'm like, I mean, mm. there's got to be a better place to cut yourself somewhere that maybe you don't <laughs> hold things with. Like you know, cut yeah. cut your upper arm maybe next time. Yeah, sure. <laughs> 
it's always funny how that works out. I, uh, I Bloodborne is is real interesting to me. Like I, I kind of as for as much as I'm, and I'm in like a Dark Souls kind of euphoria right now with the remaster mm. out. But um, Bloodborne is the game that like when I think about Dark Souls, when playing Dark Souls, just it being kind of an enclosed system, having all of these crazy intricate combo systems for your trick weapons. I just it, it's such a it's such a fun action game to play. Like it almost doesn't even need any of the the RPG stuff around it. Like you could just hand me a, a threaded cane and be like, "Oh, I've upgraded this. I've put a fire rune on it yeah. or something, and now it's yeah. fire." Like I, I could just do that. Like I don't even need stats to, to really. Um, I, so you because you, you were talking about that, like what RPG slowly becoming like action games, and I feel like mm-hmm. this is this is almost kind of from faint into making just a pure action game, which I don't really think that they've kind of done in this format like they, they always stick to some kind of weird rpg form or just straight up like weird ps2 horror games so yeah i mean again it kind of feels a little bit like they've they've taken steps backwards with various things like i i'm obviously on the remaster again today and yesterday and i'm looking at um the armor and i'm you know i'm wearing a blooming set of like priest robes or something that i found in the in the bottom of the catacombs i think they're they're the holy robes or the priest robes or something and they're, um, you can upgrade them. And I don't think you could do that. You certainly couldn't do it in Bloodborne. I mean, Bloodborne, the armor kind of was, like, the stats weren't that important. It was more about what it looked like, in my mind. Like, nothing was ever significantly different from each other. Mm-hmm. And then I think Dark Souls 3, you couldn't upgrade any of your armor. So if that's true, it's been three years since I've played a game where you're actually putting Titanite shards into armor sets. <laughs> I never bothered uh, upgrading, upgrading armor. Like at, at some point with my PV builds, PVP builds, I'll because uh, you can buy large shards and you can buy um, yeah, d- you know, just normal shards. I'll eventually just like to burn souls because I don't ever have to like up you know to level up or anything. I'll eventually like, get all yeah. my stuff to plus ten, but uh, I, I just I, I don't care. Like to me, like if you're getting hit, you're you're, you're fucking up. <laughs> like that's the oh, yeah, that, that's the idea. Is it just, <laughs> oh, I guess that's what one brightings like, isn't it? You just have to learn. Like you upgrade all your weapons and stuff so that you can take things out as quickly as possible. But if you're level one, if you've got like a plus ten piece of you know fat Tarkus armor or a you know regular one, it's probably still going to go down in one hit from most of the bosses. It's more about learning to dodge and uh, get them dead as quick as possible. But I don't know because I've not done a uh, so level one run. The, I mean, uh, it's something I might think about doing now that the remaster. Oh, do, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. Because uh, I know I know Patty's going to recreate his his one bro and I'm, I'm definitely going to yeah. do it and we're going to, we're going to do some more dick week style. Patty does a one bro videos. Oh, cause man, we want to do, fun. cause you can summon like four people, I think now, or you can, yeah. you can have well, yeah, four I've people, people and then about with at least two. X-rays. Yeah. And then have, have some phantoms. So we want to do like some like crazy races and, and things like that. And like do some, some weird shit. So definitely do it. Cause I, I think that'd be a, a great time. Just to, it'd be chaos. It's going to be pure chaos, which is the best kind of like dark souls multiplayer stuff. <laughs> I've always wanted to try it out. I've always thought I'll do this at some point, and now with the remaster, surely it's got to be the best time. Plus, also, I mean, the other thing that's awesome for me about the remaster is I never played the DLC for the original Dark Souls because I'm. Oh wow! I don't, I don't know if it was out when I was playing through the game or not. It was. It either wasn't out, or I mean, the copy that I had obviously didn't come with it because it was an a it was an original disc copy from the very original launch. But yeah, I, I never actually went and played it, so. I am super, super looking forward to going through that content on this remastered version. Oh man, that's um, that's easily the best part of the game. Is that all? Yeah, that I know. I know. I want to do that fight against Artorius so badly. Oh, dude, that's that's one of the, uh, like Artorius started that, and then uh, when you get into 
Bloodborne, and you think about like the Germans, the Lady Marias, or the, even the yeah. Orphan, of, Orphan of Kaz. Like that's some of my favorite one on one. The the boss is extremely aggressive and in your face and, mm. and intense, and the, the music kind of swells like, and it gets harder mm. as you go along. Like that's some of my favorite shit in Souls games. Like period, <laughs> over and done with. Yeah, I completely agree. And you talk about occasionally on the show um, that you're not really into the music, or the music kind of is just sort of um, like background uh, stuff to you that doesn't really. It, it just doesn't do it for you, I guess. I mean, you'd probably explain this better than I'm it's thinking a, together. Yeah, it's 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 one of those things where, like, uh, by the time you get to Bloodborne and Dark Souls Three, Dark Souls Three is like the perfect example of this is when the the network test for Dark Souls Three came out and the menu music. Mm-hmm. That was the first time we heard the menu music. Menu music, and yeah. I was like, "Wow, this is a lot!" <laughs> like compared mm-hmm. to uh, any of the previous games, which were either like real haunting or melodic or yeah. just completely absent. Uh, versus you know that in-your-face bombastic kind of yeah. orchestral style. Uh, I, I just. The, the over-the-topness of a lot of the the music kind of just becomes same. You know how when you go to AAA Hollywood Blockbuster and it's just the same string? Like, it feels like you're listening to the oh, same yeah, music. For sure. uh, for sure. But then you get something like... Uh, like Hans Zimmer, for, I'm sure he's a great composer, and sort of John Williams, I'm sure they're both amazing. But yeah, how much of their music is very, very similar? I mean, could you pick apart track from... Oh, is this from you know the Dark Knight Rises or you know, the, the <laughs> yeah. Dark Knight Returns or, or Armageddon? Like, like which one mm. is it? And you, you know, you might yeah. be able to guess just because music changes over the years. But to me, it all yeah. starts blending in. But if you go back to Demon Souls, uh, like Demon Souls has such a weird and uh, like queasy soundtrack to it. Like they do weird mm. instrumentation. Mm. Like they have, they just have strange stuff happening. And then um, there's some tracks in Bloodborne that I think are absolutely brilliant. Like Lady Maria's theme, yeah. Orphan of Cause theme. Um, there's some tracks. The German that, one is the one that gets me. Oh yeah, the German one is great. I just recorded with someone who was like, "This is the best track I've ever heard," and things like that. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's it's a little bit. Some of it is a little bit overdone. Like it's just it's like again, you, when you start you know using full orchestras to to do this stuff, I think it yeah, it's it's just overpowering you in some cases. That's why I like when I listen to it on Spotify because I've tried to like go through Spotify and listen to some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just like okay, I get it. Like I'm. <laughs> This is a little exhausting to listen to. Like, there's 18 horns going right now. Like, can we just dial yeah. this down? And uh, I've seen I people, I've seen people cover that stuff with, you know, on a violin. Or I have a friend that mm. did um, a couple of like cleric beast themes where he was just using a synthesizer and like picking out the melody yeah. of it. And the the cleric beast melody is super interesting, but it's almost drowned out by everything around it. So, so yes, I, I like the music. I like it a lot. I just, you know get me talking about near automata and i will talk to you about the soundtrack all, all fucking day <laughs> I, I can't talk to you about near automata unfortunately <laughs> i have heard some of the music for it and it was really really good i'm i'm a, i'm generally a pretty big fan of of music in in games i'm because i i like um i like story stuff you know i like the kind of atmosphere i like worlds i like you know really intricate um i i guess just you know that interactive style of storytelling that as as good as you know a, a movie or a book or a TV series can be, you can't have that exact same kind of personal personal touches that you can get with a video game. Like everybody who reads the book is going to read exactly the same thing, and you can interpret it differently. You can you can see it in different ways, and but you're never going to have your own experience with it. I mean, and, and it might be it might be that you're somebody who's you know, I I tend to associate. Um, like a piece of fiction like that with kind of a time and a place and it will make it more kind of you know, have more of an emotional attachment to something because of 
you know, it might have been a particularly, you know, stressful or happy or unhappy time in my life when I was playing or reading or whatever. And it, it will stick with me because of that a bit like, you know, I think Dark Souls specifically sticks with me because of the, you know, the kind of turmoil that I was having at the time. And uh, I get that, but it's it's still not something that you can quite get from even even like the most basic levels of interaction. Like I've, I've got into um, I've got into a lot of more interactive sort of. Um, I, well, I guess the you know the the almost derogatory term would be sort of, you know be like walking simulators, mm-hmm. but I've played a lot of things like that recently, and visual novels, and sort of dating simulator style games, and even the most absolute basic piece of interaction in it. You know, you, I've played through uh, a sort of a visual novel dating simulator game where I think there were literally there were two dialogue choices that you could make over the course of the entire like four hour game. And it still made it feel more personal than it would have been if if the game had have just made those for you. Yeah, that's that's kind of the fascinating thing. Like you, you people seem to rag on those, those interactive fiction or um, walking simulators or, or whatever, but it's it, in a lot of ways it's a really interesting way to tell a story and still give the players mm. some sort of agency to move through it. And, yeah, for sure. You know the the way that like because I. Gone Home got me. Like Gone Home got me completely. Mm. I I had heard a lot about that game, but by the time I got around to playing it, I had still somehow not been spoiled about it. Um, yeah. And so like I went in thinking like, oh yeah, this is definitely a horror game. Something horrible happening. Mm. Like I kept waiting for the the thing. And I guess I'm spoiling Gone Home for anybody that's listening to this. Sorry, y'all. <laughs> it's been a few years. I'll need to get on that. Um, it's but you know it, that never happens. Uh, and it's yeah. Th- that's something that's kind of fascinating to me. I like you know. Bloodborne did this as well. Bloodborne has kind of a twist in the middle of it, and uh, mm. that's something relatively new in a Souls game. Like Dark Souls One, obviously has the twist that you're probably not the the hero, but that's not really yeah. a, a twist so much of as just a, like a thing that you discover. Like it doesn't pull the rug out from under you. Yeah. It's just something that if you think back on everything that you do, you're like, oh wait, am I the bad guy? <laughs> what, what am I doing? <laughs> Whereas Bloodborne yeah. has like that explicit you're twist. Good guy. <laughs> It's kind of fascinating to me. Like, I did you did you get spoiled on that when you were playing Bloodborne? Like, did you did you know going yeah, in that it's going to have? Was, yeah, I, I was since you were two so years down the line yeah. after it had come out, and I'm I'm not really, I'm generally not particularly bothered by spoilers. I kind of, I wouldn't say that I kind of don't believe in spoilers, but I don't. I mean, there are very specific circumstances where the spoiler can actually spoil something, but in general, I mean, hearing. Uh, a sort of a plot point in something that otherwise is going to be, you know, even if it's like a movie or something, you know, someone tells you about the twist at the end, you still don't, you still got to get there, right? You still got the journey to get there. Like, I mean, as a as a really as a basic example, um, uh, I remember um, the TV show Sons of Anarchy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that kind of the very ending, like the finale of that, something happens, you know, some shit goes down as it has done throughout the whole series. And um, I wasn't I wasn't in this position, but one of my good friends um, he saw basically somebody just posting on social media like, "Oh my god, I can't believe such and such at the end," and he was like, "Motherfucker, um, that's you know." Now that I know that, it's kind of like, "Well, what's the point?" But on the other hand, you've got twelve hours of a TV show to watch. Like, okay, fine, you know the last scene. But surely, like the build-up to that, surely the you know the journey that you take along the way, surely you're curious about why that happens and what the all the you know the multiple multiple events that happen that lead to that being the final you know final scene. 
you know, you've still got that, and that's that's not been spoiled. You know, no one can take that away from you. Like, you can still have the experience just because you don't necessarily get the, you know, like the sort of record scratch moment doesn't mean that you don't get the, you know, the entire record beforehand. And I kind of feel like that, and it also probably helps that generally I can hear spoilers about something, and unless it's something that I'm right there doing at that minute, I'm going to forget about it. It's not going to stick with me. Yeah. Like, you can tell me that, <laughs> you know, Tony Soprano dies at the end of The Sopranos, and it's like, you know, by the time I've got round to it, I'm probably not going to remember that somebody told me that, like, six years ago. And that's not a spoiler, because that's not necessarily actually what happens in the sopranos yeah there's there's six seasons of, of tony soprano and like there's still exactly. like you know there's the, the the classic one that i always remembered that um because i was i was always hanging out on something awful and when the the last or the next the last harry potter book came out um, oh god yeah somebody changed their like one of the forum names like if you picture like scrolling down a list of forums and you're going to click on like yeah. games or tech or and then one yeah. of them was just named snape kills dumbledore and yeah, like people that were really was really bad. People were terrible with that. I saw that written on the wall in a public <laughs> toilet. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, I, I was I was a Harry Potter fan when those books were coming out, and like I didn't get spoiled. But even if I had, I'd be like, well, I mean, what is the yeah, situation why? where? What yeah, happens? what what's going to happen to that? How on earth is this the scenario here? My wife has a different twist on this. Um, mm. she, so like, uh, I went to see Avengers: Infinity War, and. Um, mm-hmm. I went, I went with some people at work and I, I brought her dad with me and she did, she wasn't able to make it. She was like, it's fine. I don't, you know, I don't really care. We'll go see it later. Tell or me what happens. Yeah. Well, not even that. Like, so we get out and uh, like, I'm texting her that we're, I'm coming home and she's like, can you believe that all these people died? And I'm like, what do you mean? You, she goes, Oh yeah, I spoiled myself. Like I didn't, I'm not going to sit through a whole movie and be like nervous about it. <laughs> like she didn't want to be to her. A spoiler is a, is a re- reduction of stress to, from worrying about something. So if she knows that, um, you know, I'm, I'm just going to make something up. Like Kitty Pride dies in the new, like is or shows up in the new Avengers movie. She's not going to like yeah. sit around looking for it to happen. She just knows it's going to happen, and that's fine. It's kind of like I get the I get the angle there because sometimes you know, you know, new video games will come out and you see people like oh, I'm going off Twitter for a week until I've played through it or whatnot. It's like if you don't care about it, you don't have to stress about the fact that you might sort of boot up a social media and see something you might walk into a toilet and see someone scrawled a spoiler on the wall if you don't care if you're kind of like well i'll just i'll just do it anyway so that i don't have to worry then that's yeah fair play <laughs> but i i don't think people take that um a little too I seriously don't think most people take that uh, that way of thinking about it to be honest yeah. most people seem way more uptight than i am about it yeah, it's and I, I get it too. Like I, you know, I'm somebody um, kind of spoiled me on one of the events in Deadpool two, and I haven't seen that movie yeah. yet. And I'm like, well, I would have appreciated to see that because I like I like when, when media surprises me. Like that, that's a thing that yeah. I enjoy. And um, but yeah. at the same time, like it's not going to ruin Deadpool two for me. Like I'm still probably mm. going to go watch that movie and enjoy it and have a good time. And it, you know, it doesn't really matter in the long run. So I, I try not to get uptight about it. But yeah, yeah, I um, get it. We, we've gone way over time <laughs> but uh, this has been a, a fantastic conversation so thank you very much for guesting with me this morning john i really appreciate uh, it you're more than welcome man I've, I've enjoyed this i've been looking forward to this for a long time yeah this is this has been absolutely great it's always um 
this is exactly what I needed with the Dark Souls one remaster coming out. Of just being like, hell yeah, let's play, let's play yeah. some fucking Dark Souls and let's talk about some Dark Souls. I am um, super into oh, it. My entire Twitter feed is doing that at the moment. I, I don't tend to use Twitter very often, but just uh, you know, booting it up and just seeing people talking about it and posting gifts and stuff. I've seen pictures of vagrants. I've seen like three different people fighting vagrants. I've never seen a vagrant before. I don't even really understand or know what a vagrant is. <laughs> And now I might actually see one in my game. I don't know what I have to do from all the pictures. It looks like you've got to be human for them to appear. But uh, beyond that, I'm like, I'm I'm going to see. Stuff. I've seen Grave Lord stuff going on. Yeah, right. It's and like, how many bizarre. how many Grave Lord signs did you ever see in your original playthroughs? Oh my god! I've when already- I booted up the um, network test, and I was messing about with the different characters. When I um, I think it's the pyromancer because I like starting as a pyromancer in the games anyway. But I started as the pyromancer in the network test, and I realised that you've got the Gravelord thing. I was like, "Oh shit! Are they actually going to make a deal of this? Is this going to happen now? Is this going to work?" Like I've joined the Covenants to get Covenant rewards and stuff, and I wanted that Gravelord sword um, in the past. But yeah, to actually actually see it in play, and there's going to be like dragon signs and stuff around as well. Oh, it's going to be amazing. Yeah, it's. I need to go back and play. <laughs> it's it's yeah, it's so much fun, it's so much goddamn fun. Let's get off this podcast and go play Dark Souls, John. <laughs> yeah, for sure, I'm I'm down for that. What um, where can you be found on the internet? Should people want to go check okay. you out? I mean, I I don't do a huge amount of Twitter stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I I'm pretty I I sort of check it and look at stuff on it but I, I don't um, I don't post very much generally I post like pictures of beers and stuff about video games and always always guaranteed to get a few people who are like oh that looks good um, but if yeah if you do want to follow me um, I am at uh, catatonic nally which is uh, is it got an underscore in it I don't think it has an underscore in it I'm looking at it now and it does not okay so it's uh, c-a-t-a-t-o-n-i-c n-a-l-i and um, yeah, the only other thing that I really do, yeah, I've just just clicked on the um, like the load new tweets and there's a picture of a horse about to bite your wife in the head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I had to retweet that when it when it popped up so on my feed because it just it just popped up as we were sitting here talking. It popped up and I was like, well, I've got to oh give her that, that that RT. That, <laughs> that's really good. Your wife is fucking hilarious. Her <laughs> tweets are so funny. Um, what was I saying? Uh, your Twitter uh, handle oh yeah, and yeah. where else can you can be found? Yeah, so I'm I'm occasionally like I'm a, a sort of sporadic um, guest host on the Kane and Rinse podcast, which I'm I'm sure that some of your listeners are are aware of. I know that you've had at least two or three of the um, the other guys on on here before. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, at the moment, uh, I've possibly, against my better judgment, signed up to um, to play all of the early Final Fantasy games. Oof. Uh, yeah, it's, it's an undertaking. Um, I, I really, I shouldn't be on this podcast. I shouldn't be playing Dark Souls. I should be playing Final Fantasy IV. I've got like two weeks to play through all of that game, apart from about five hours of it. But I'm irresponsible, and it's going to end up being like two days before. I probably just play it solidly. Um, but that's that's a been a, a bit of an undertaking. I mean, I'm enjoying it. But uh, it's it's certainly a thing. So yeah, if, if you want to hear me um, on other podcasts, if for whatever reason you've enjoyed my my conversational style, um, yeah, listen to Kane and Rinse. Now I will be popping up every few months for at least the next next year or so on there. Yeah, I'm, I'll definitely recommend uh, Kane and Rinse. Um, but yes, I mean, you guys, it's good. I remember um, I, 
discovering Canaan Rents um, was because I, I found it a little bit after I found this podcast, um, mm-hmm. and, or excuse me, after I started this podcast, and uh, like listening to Canaan Rents, and I was like, oh man, <laughs> these guys are doing everything that I'm doing, but way better. <laughs> like it's obviously a different format, but you guys are so much better at this stuff than I am. <laughs> Uh, and it just maybe yeah like that definitely go out and look I, I still like go through the list of Canon Rents episodes because there's so many and just like pick out my favorite games and go listen to you guys talk about them because it's it's always a really interesting conversation. So I've I've been a fan for the longest time. I I'm sort of I've managed to work my way through nepotism into um, into appearing <laughs> on probably about a dozen episodes up up until now. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm primarily I was I was a fan in the beginning and. Um, yeah, like I say, just sort of managed to worm my way in a little bit. Uh, the 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 level of expertise that uh, that those guys. I'm I'm not going to sort of clump myself in as sort of part of Kane or Rince. I'm just kind of, you know, like I say, I'm a sort of a sporadic contributor. Um, but yeah, the level of expertise that goes on, the level of work that goes into the shows, um, especially uh, Leon is like his. I mean, he's godlike levels of gaming knowledge and his podcasting style is is so professional it's, it's yeah if, if you're interested in like the getting into sort of the real nitty gritty of, of a game then yeah they're, they're pretty pretty spot on I mean again a lot of your other listeners probably well aware of um, oh, yeah. yeah the guys over at Duckfeed and yeah I, I would describe Cane and Rinse and Watch Out for Fireballs as being in the same sort of wheelhouse of like these are very very professional people doing something that they're very good at um, and just a just kind of a slight I guess you get a bit of a personality difference between the two like watch out for fireballs is kind of more casual and more like or more I don't mean casual in like in a casually done it's more sort of friendly kind of two two friends or three three friends sort of having a chat with each other Ken and Rince is a bit more kind of to the point but yeah they, they essentially achieve the same thing yeah they don't make as nearly as many um uh like weird gross horror jokes on <laughs> Kane yeah. and Rance the Gary and Goldie on watch out for fireballs you never know what you're going to get into with those boys so that is true and I mean, that is a lot of the fun of that show I've, I've listened to so many of their podcasts and they were they were um you know another big factor in a why I, I think I sunk into Dark Souls as well as I did and also that kind of coming through the back end of that depression uh, phase that I was in listening to a lot of their podcasts and just like I just felt like I had a friend it was just like these are people who I can I can associate with even though they, they've got no idea that I exist like these guys are cool and it's nice to have like a, a sort of a friendly voice on the end of your headphones so I, I, I think I owe those guys a lot of a lot of credit for helping me out when I was in a bad way it's, it's really interesting because um, there's something about uh, Gary and Cole that just make you feel like you're listening to your friends talk. Um, yeah, definitely. Like when I started, because they posted into something off of forums, like, oh, hey, we're going to start this Dark Souls podcast. And it was at a time where I was consumed by Dark Souls. Like I, that's, mm. I lived and breathed it, like even more so than I did now, uh, than I do now. And just listening to them chat and like, you know, responding to them in the forums. And, and, and like they yeah. were just, oh, hey, they're just normal people. <laughs> like they're just, they're just dudes that you can hang out with. Like it didn't, they make it seem like, again, it's, it's like you're listening to two of your best friends have a conversation. Uh, and it's, you know, I think a lot of people bond with that in, in a lot of cool ways. Anyway, I'm, yeah, I'm there's, rambling. There's a lot to be said for that. I mean, we, we can cut this out. You don't have to put all of this into the end of the show. Oh no, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to leave it in up and I'm going to make Gary listen to it. <laughs> oh wow. Okay, cool. Hi Gary. Thank you. 
Um, as always, I've been your host, Jeremy Greer. You can find me on Twitter at JG Greer. You can find the podcast at don'tgiveupskeleton.com. That has links to the, all of the different ways you can support the show, including going to the Patreon, including buying a t-shirt, including leaving a review on iTunes or whatever your podcast medium of choice is. All of that stuff is super appreciated. But I also would just appreciate you listening. If you're out there just listening to the podcast and not doing anything else about it, thank you, man. I appreciate it. And um, we'll be back next week with a yet another guest to talk about some Dark Souls and some Bloodborne. And until then, don't give up, Skeleton. Skeleton.